Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. This episode is brought to you by Untapped and the Untapped merch store. Make sure to use the coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off your next purchase there. And while we're at it, I'm John, and in this episode, we're featuring some pretty cool things. A black lager with mm. a really cool story. Um, cool story, cool mm. ship. Cool. I'll pause for laughter later. <laughs> uh, maybe more exciting, we're introducing a new format to the show, which is going to provide weekly episodes of Drinking Socially starting right now. My you can God. expect to see some new segments sprinkled into our new format uh, ranging, we're, we're looking for maybe some styles, some, some segments that hit more on education. Harrison's going to introduce a BJCP format coming up in this episode, uh, and also focus more on what we love, which is laughing. Uh, so stick around for episode 19 as we drink a dark lager. We cover fermentation in beer 101. And all right, let's get to the beer. Harrison, tell us what we've got to, to drink here on episode 19. That's right. So we're starting out with something pretty cool, as you've already jumped on that pun wagon quickly. Um, <laughs> it is from OEC Brewing. It's their Cool Ship Lager Black. Um, and they're out of Connecticut. And I, I'm not cool enough to say their Latin name or Ordinem Eccentrici Cacortes is what OEC stands Perfect. for. Kind of. I think I nailed it. Um, you sound like Harry Potter. Yeah, right now. Expelliarmus. Lumos. Um, it's ABV is 5.4%. And from the brewery, it's a Czech-style black lager. So that's interesting. Uh, and they say that our cool ship, Lager Black, gains its signature color from the use of European roasted malts, brewed using a traditional double decoction mash, and hopped with fine European noble hops after the boil, it rests in our copper cool ship for an hour and then it's transferred into our uh, Bodelac cooler and our open fermentation, open tanks for fermentation. Uh, after a cool fermentation using classic Czech lager yeast, it is cellared for several months prior to, to release. So, um, you know, OEC is kind of known for doing crazy beers like this, but we'll talk about it in a sec. John, what's your, you already got in there. What's your, uh, What's your first sip? What's your thought? What's happening? Ooh, okay. Okay. Ooh. Um, I don't... Uh, at my first sip, it was kind of smokier mm -hmm. than I initially thought it was going to be. Of course, I think lager first, but there is some severe... It, it makes me want to barbecue, but as I drink and as I finish... I'm thinking about licorice more than I thought. Mm. I um, Harrison, what about you? Hmm. <sighs> oh yeah, sure. I get the smoke. It's kind of nutty to start almost like mm -hmm. an almond, a specific nut, if I will, an almond cashew hybrid or something. There's it's good. It's, it's, um, but almonds kind of have that tanniny, which can almost be a roasty kind of thing going on. Uh, with them as well but i got like a dark bunch of roasted kind of nuts this is delicious nicely carbonated too it's very kind of bubbly on the tongue mm. so something cool we're going to do moving forward with uh these beers is kind of put up uh the the bjcp style uh alongside it and if you guys don't know 
uh, what the BJCP is. I'm going to tell you a little about it right now. So it stands for the Beer Judge Certification Program. It's a nonprofit. Started in 1985, and their mission is to promote beer literacy and a, the appreciation of real beer and to recognize beer tastings, tasting and evaluation skills. So they kind of are like the official, unofficial, um, I guess, dictionary, if you will, or encyclopedia, a great resource for if you are trying a beer for the first time, a style you've never had. Look up what the BJCB says about it. They'll have kind of like the industry standards. Um, laid out right there for you. Um, and so John's going to kind of tell us a little bit about this beer itself kind of jumps through a couple different categories, but we pulled up what the BJCP has says, says about him to give us kind of a baseline as we, uh, we drink through this. Yeah. Uh, I think this is something I'm kind of excited about. Uh, Harrison and I have drank many different styles on the podcast, getting to uh, season three, episode 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, I, I'm excited to just talk a little bit about the style. Now, on our inaugural BJCP highlight, um, this beer is marketed by OEC as a dark European lager. And that's not an official style that I could find recognized by the BJCP. Mm-hmm. But I chose to kind of compare it to an American dark lager. We know yep. there'll be some difference. And I'm going to excitedly ask Harrison what he thinks. But breaking down an American dark lager... Mm-hmm. The place I wanted to begin was with the flavor, uh, and this is something. If you were a, a certified beer judge, you would you would compare. You'd look at this flavor description. Yeah. And they, so the makeup for an American dark lager, you should be looking for a moderately crisp with some low to maybe moderate levels of sweetness. Mm. And I think we found that in this yeah. beer. Certainly crisp, sweet, but not not overly not overly done. Um, you can get a medium to low to almost no caramel or roasted malt flavors. And I got a lot in this one with that kind of smokiness, a little bit of molasses up front um, and yeah. hot flavors in, in a beer like this. The hot flavors generally range from nothing at all to barely significant. Yeah. The hot bitterness, you might get a little bit more hot bitterness. You should taste no diacetyl. It might have a little bit of fruitiness. And it actually says that uh, burnt or moderately strong roasted malt flavors mm. are a defect. So if you're okay. getting something that tastes kind of burnt, don't attribute that to the darkness of an American dark lager. That may be a defect in the style. Interesting. Um, from here, I'm going to pivot to aroma, which is another thing I love to kind of experience in a beer. Yeah. Style guidelines for American dark lager, little to no malt aroma. Um, almost medium to low, so not a whole lot of roast or mm-hmm. caramel aroma. You can get a little bit of hop on the nose, um, not much. You might get a little bit of spicier floral hop presence, and the hop aroma, uh, aroma itself. Right when you when you smell that beer on an IPA, a mosaic hopped IPA, you're going to smell that cantaloupe right away. For this mm-hmm. beer. They're saying you're not going to get very much of that at all, but you can get a little bit of the yeast character from the beer, which might hit you kind of like green apples. A lot of times would be a fair descriptor there. Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. Some commercial examples of an American dark lager. The one that I know most is Shiner, Shiner's Bach. Yeah, Uh, Shinerbach. Exactly. Uh, That's a beer if you've never had before, it's it's worthy of trying. It's kind of uh, it's. it makes me think of Texas. Um, you can find Beck's Dark or St. Pauli Girl Dark. 
uh, Warsteiner's Dunkel. So there's a, a good range of commercial examples for an American dark lager. But Harrison, he said this one's listed as a Euro dark. Um, is there any insights that you might have into what we could expect a little bit differently? I almost wanted to compare this with like a German Schwartz beer. Yeah, um, that's what I would. Yeah, that's what I would kind of put it up right against as a German Schwartz beer. You know, the Czech lager uh, yeast is a is um, a little bit different there. You obviously were German. If we're in a German Schwartz beer, you wouldn't use a Czech lager yeast. But that's become Czech lager yeast have really kind of taken off in the states now probably for the past five or, or 10 years or so uh it's kind of known for like a nice long kind of rounded finish and it's famous most famous in pilsners like pilsner or kell which is a czech pilsner from um a czech republic but um they uh, uh because of the bitterness of that pilsner is really kind of evened out by how rounded and kind of smooth a czech lager finishes um, which is great. So you've got kind of complementary um, or um, things happening there. So, but but it's it, it's it's different than right an American lager that may use an American lager yeast, where it's going to be perhaps smoother um, uh, and not play with the hops as much. Now, as you said, there's not much hops going on, um, you know, in this beer at all, uh, which is great as well. Um, it, you know. It, you don't need it. Um, it's definitely more malt forward, toasty. I'm actually getting a lot of chocolate happening now uh, as I'm drinking it currently as it warmed up a little bit. But um, but yeah, it's uh, um, yeah, it's it's kind of this. It's really interesting. I've never had a black lager with Czech yeast before. Czech lager yeast in it. So I'm kind of like trying to find. I've had Czech lagers before. I've had Schwartz beer and dark lagers. I'm trying to kind of as I'm drinking this kind of see if I can pick out what's coming from what, uh, uh, you know, the yeast, the malt, all that stuff. And then, of course, this was cooled in a cool ship, too, which has a whole other element to this beer um, that uh, you have to kind of account for as you're drinking it um, and what, you know, what you're tasting and why. So it's really a neat style. And again, OEC is known for kind of just doing things their own way. Um, but reading about it, I was like, I don't think I've ever had this combo before. So I was excited to drink it, kind of see, see what that actually tasted like. And it's, it's great. It's very smooth. And, and yeah, now it's like a chocolate nut bar almost. Yes. Mm. Uh, the flavor is certainly changing as it's kind of warmed up in, Ooh. uh, in my tulip Ooh. a little bit. And I'm even getting, the- yeah, like a little more grassy hop note now, just a little bit right at the end, just a little bit. They said in their description on Untapped, European fine noble hops, which right. immediately makes me think of yes, that. like yes. we're not talking about fruity hops, but that kind yeah. of grassy. Yep. Yes, it's definitely um, there. That's that's cool. Hmm. And one of the uh, guys who's in the drinking socially group was just recently at OEC's uh, brewery. I I didn't get a picture of the copper cool shit, but. Mm. Can you just, I, we're going to talk about fermenting here in a little bit, but aside from being a really cool name, uh, cool shit, can, yeah. you, can you give us just a, a brief kind of, you know, we talked about mashing in and stuff with Elliot on the last beer 101. Absolutely. Um, when you're cooling in a, in a cool ship, is, did, mainly I, like I imagine that just smelling magical in the brew house. On uh, yeah. There's a wonderful video. If you know, you have your, your fancy internet machine handy, all your listeners out there um, and want to jump on. Allagash has a cool ship too, and they do a really cool video that shows the 
the house, the cool ship building, they actually open the windows to when they, you know, um, knock out or they transfer a, a beer that's hot coming out of the kettle into the cool ship and use it that uh, to cool it down. Um, but the, the thought behind it is, so it's, it's basically a large copper swimming pool, except it's only about an inch or so deep. So you want to want no diving allowed, um, for many, <laughs> for many reasons. Um, but, uh, definitely. Um, and so the, the thought behind it is when you get the beer that's hot coming out of the, the boil into this cool ship, uh, the surface area, how large the cool ship is, the surface area allows the beer to contact the ambient air more of it contact more of the air um, and cool it down with the the ambient air as opposed to running it through a plate chiller or cooling it down some other way in a brewery. And before you had commercial refrigeration and, and other ways of cooling beer down, this is how a lot of breweries had to do it. And a lot of breweries in Belgium still do all over the world. Obviously, OEC is doing it in Connecticut, so it's not limited to just Belgium and um and if you're asking, okay, so what if it's the middle of the summer? Can I use a cool ship then when it's 90 degrees out? You really can't. Um, I mean, that's a big part of this. And there was a great article that Cantillon was interviewed for a couple of years ago about how climate change is kind of pushing back their brewing window because they, they brew a beer and they, they can't cool it down quick enough now, like in September, like they used to. So, um, yes, that's a factor because you are just using the ambient air uh, to to cool it down, which is so amazing. Yes, you walk in that room, right? It smells like a brew house. It smells. It's one of my favorite smells in the world. Um, so to have a whole room just kind of like a sauna. You imagine two hundred degree water wart hitting a room, and the steam that creates, especially if it's cold out, that's going to be the best sauna experience ever. Just uh, yeah, don't again, don't dive in, don't stick your finger in it. At that point, you know you want to. The beer has got to do its thing, and you want to keep it pristine for the yeast you want in there to do its thing, as opposed to something funky messing it all up. That just makes me want to go diving into a one-inch pool. So be careful. Um, and I know that wasn't the point of your story. Um, <laughs> these, point. Th- these, guys, th- these guys have put together a really cool brewery. Is Harrison and I would struggle with the Latin pronunciation of their name, it's kind of a, a of a, a maybe an intentionally uh, incorrect Latin sentence that kind of refers to the order of the eccentric boilers, and ah. it implies, and I haven't been able to do enough research to tie it all together, but somehow OEC is connected through tertiary cousins with breweries in Japan and Belgium through this kind of order. Right. That's it almost right. makes me feel like I'm playing an Assassin's Creed video yes. game. Yes. You know too much, John. They're going to take you out. <laughs> as long as I can jump off a building and land <laughs> to a haystack one time before they get me. <laughs> That's right. Not interested at all. Not a scratch on you. Um, yeah. Yes, that's right. They do. I remember that. You bring this up. Uh, yeah, the kind of network they have with, I think it's like 12% beer project and the Shelton brothers. So like a lot of really cool, or maybe B12 imports. Anyway, a large, large um, organizations that you have connections with breweries over the world to start. I believe this is right. Uh, Let me check myself here quickly, whatever, Google this, but um, (laughs) disclaimer for a while. So I know this for a while, OEC was getting fresh wort shipped to them from belgium and they were just blending a lot of it there 
either at the same time or before they started brewing their own beer, they started out really as like a blendery, which was really cool. Um, really cool to just to see that, to see an, a, a, a blendery in the United States getting, you know, more fresh beer from Europe, from Belgium, from places like Cantillon and Fatome and like actually doing something here with it. Um, that's how that's, that's how I first heard about them. Where I was like, what they're doing? How do they do that? How are they? And then as you said, the kind of connections they have, you learn about that and you can kind of see how it's easy as relative, but to pick up the phone and say, Hey, Cantillon, what do you got? Send it over. We're ready to put in some barrels, but that's what they did. That uh, it seems like an unfair advantage, but I guess it was an earned advantage. And right, at right. the end of the day, uh, what I'm drinking here, I, I, I reference all of my dark lager experiences to New Belgium's 1554. That was uh, like the yeah. first one that I ever remember having. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably was the first one I had, but yeah. I remember yeah. vividly thinking, no way that's going to taste refreshing. And after my second or third pint saying, what the hell is going on in your bar? Uh, yeah. Please teach me more. That was a really cool experience. That's a great point. I have a similar memory to that of the, the Coates Rider Schwartz beer uh, from Germany, where I think I'm saying the brewery name right, where they, that was one of the first dark like black lagers I ever had. Uh, I had a liter of it at a beer hall in Philadelphia, and I was like, what it was almost like there's before dark loggers and after dark loggers there's the only two states of existence <laughs> you know one can have and i was like holy cow this is chocolatey but it's not heavy like a stout it's kind of refreshing like a lighter lager but the mouth feels somewhere in between and it was yeah it's a really cool style um and this is it's reminding me of reminding me of that especially again now it's opened up a little bit um that kind of chocolatey but still refreshing somehow um mind puzzle how is this working the magic of roasted malts seriously and i'd like to sit here and muse on them with you but we've got a another thing we, i want to cover with you uh before we get too long into this episode beer 101 um yes i think uh this is the seventh uh we're getting close to the finish line we are this one covers fermentation science and uh, and that's my terrible transition into Beer 101, Episode 19. Let's do it. So every beer we've ever drank has been fermented. Is that safe to say out loud, Harrison? Yes, that we've had. Oh, yeah. Yep, for sure. Um, and it goes back to before we even really knew what fermentation happened. Like the Germans made a law about what you can put in your beer before we understood what yeast did. So before we dive into uh, wherever this conversation takes us, Harrison, if we understand that fermentation is the actual science where right. we take all the work from the brew day episode, we've got a wart, we've cooled it down, and we're going to make something that's going to help me get through another season as a Bills fan. Can you, <laughs> can, can you begin this beer 101 by explaining what do, we, what do we mean when we talk about fermentation? Like what's happening in there? Yeah, so high-level fermentation is the process by which you know, the yeast is converting the simple fermentable sugars we just collected from the mash into the wort uh, and put in a fermenter into ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide into CO2. Um, and that's what gives the beer both its alcohol content and then some of its carbonation. Uh, most breweries will do that later. They'll force carbonate their beer. 
but it is a byproduct of fermentation. So you could, uh, like some breweries you've had on, uh, namely um, Red Oak, get all your CO2 from just that yeast doing what it does, uh, eating some sugar, making some alcohol, and, and making some carbon dioxide as well. Just an incredibly natural approach. A lot of home brewers, I would imagine, go through and rely on natural fermentation to put the bubbles in my beer. You, I mean, it's harder to capture than you'd think because you know CO two wants to be a gas. It's always trying to escape for the liquid that it's being created in during fermentation. So a lot of home brewers will uh, you can force carbonate it or put like priming sugar, which is just like corn syrup cane sugar rather you can use maple syrup lots of things but into the bottles of your home brew uh, as you bottle it and what that'll do is it will the kind of the yeast that's in that bottle will wake up and eat that new sugar you just added and then make a little bit more alcohol but uh the co2 that inevitably carbonates that beer it's called um bottle conditioned tons of commercial breweries do it as well sierra nevada is known for it victory's uh, brewing is known for bottle and can conditioning uh i think if not everything almost everything they uh produce yeah i know at one point i want to hear on 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 an episode your story about victory's conditioning yeah we'll get there um, talked sure. about them quite a few times yes so let's take a uh we kind of walked through on the last episode with uh elliot from high brewing we talked about how you begin taking all the you know the four main ingredients taking them and turning them into a beer and, yes. you know, not to not to say that it's easy, but it seems like you could make a beer in an, in an hour and a half. What how how's for like how long does fermentation take? Can I microwave it and get an IPA out mm. in, in maybe four or five hours? Have it ready for dinner. Uh, uh, right. Please, please don't judge. Exactly. Me that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I don't know that. So you kind of hit on all the important points, though, is like temperature plays a role in this. Uh, a huge role in it. And so um, we did a, a feature in the second season of Drinking Socially about the Kvek yeast from Norway and how that was kind of coming to the States. And usually breweries are fermenting beer. I'm going to, if it's an ale between like 60 degrees and maybe if it's like a Belgian Saison, like 70, 75, maybe that's like scary high in the eye and of a brewer well, these Quebec yeasts are, you can jack them up at like 92 or a hundred degrees. And that does speed up the, um, the process. So you can make like an IPA with Quebec yeast and have it be done with primary fermentation in a day, um, which is pretty wild. It's a, it's going to be a vigorous fermentation. That brew house floor is going to be a mess with just what we call blow off. Basically, you know, you know, as that yeast is eating all that sugar and making all that CO2, if it makes it really quick, it's going to, just like you open up a can of a beer and pour it too fast in your glass and it, it overflows, same thing inside a huge tank full of thousands of gallons of beer. All that CO2 can be created so quickly, and it's going to go all over the floor and, and make a mess. So, But you, you account for that as a brewer. You know what to do. So yeast plays a huge role. What kind you're using? Uh, temperature, absolutely. But primary fermentation, if you're not using the Quebec yeast, usually done in like three days or so. So it is very quick. But that wouldn't be like the appropriate time to bottle and give it everybody. It's a f- new beer. It's, it's got a lot of what we call secondary, you know, fermentation to, to go through where you want to get, it's not just about the alcohol. It's about kind of making those flavors come together. Maybe you're dry hopping. Maybe it's a lager and it's got another 30 days to sit in another tank 
and uh, clear up, have all that kind of particulate that you have that's in that beer from being brewed and being mashed and have that drop out of suspension so you can see right through it. So there's, there's those kinds of factors, but primary fermentation should be done in like three days or so. And then you've got the, all the alcohol that's going to be in there provided you don't add some adjunct or something later it's done uh, at that point. You're kind of just waiting for the flavors to come together. Okay. So if we wanted to, if we were really in a hurry, we could be drinking a fresh made beer by this weekend. Yes. It probably just wouldn't taste maybe as good as most of the commercial <sighs> beers we get. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, sorry. The, the, the basic, just want to highlight this before we move on. The basic factors involved in that fermentation are the yeast, obviously, and the temperature. And does it matter like how much if I'm, if I'm fermenting in my mm. closet with two gallons versus right. in, a, in a giant hundred barrel fermenter? Great question. So uh, you're pitching a certain amount of yeast based on a couple factors. It's the size of the batch, how much beer you're actually brewing. You need more yeast for more beer. Um, or, you know, more wort, you know, turn into beer. Uh, and then it's a generation of the yeast. So, like, what's the viability? Like, how healthy is that yeast population? We'll repitch all the time uh, in breweries where you, you know, after primary fermentation is done, you can actually harvest the yeast out of the bottom of the fermenter uh, by through a sanit- you know, sanitized equipment and then use that yeast again in another beer. Uh, and yeast get better at their job the older they are. And so a generation is you brew a beer, you pull the yeast out, you drop it in. That's from generation one to generation two. And you do that from generation two to generation three. Each time you put a new beer on top of it, uh, it's, it's considered going, you know, a new generation of yeast, which you're going to be pulling out of it. And so that's why breweries have labs. A big reason is to pull some yeast out of a beer, look at it under a microscope, count how many, um, how active it is, uh, what it's doing, and then you can, uh, based off that, determine, okay, this is how much of this yeast we're going to need to put into this next tank to hit our target, hit hit the hit our, our final gravity, actually accomplish a full primary fermentation that gets that beer to where alcohol-wise we want it to be. And so, yeah, definitely some science happening. Yep. Um, but... Uh, but it's pretty simple. You kind of, I mean, it's not, again, once you know what you're doing, it's all about, right, how much do you need? Measure these three things and add this this amount. So I can take it for granted and brew some beer at home and put it in my closet and measure yeast from a packet. And mm-hmm. I can make, but man, when you were getting into it, that was like, that was getting very much like, like a chemistry course or a biology sure. course. And it, it reminds me uh, of, a brewer, I won't mention him by name, but he wore incredibly short shorts. Sure. And he did mm. get better with age, much like yeast. Yeah. Um, but he told me about the rule of thumb, um, uh-huh. which uh-huh. we say many times. And according to legend, that stems from a brewer would stick his thumb in the mash and he would use that to determine if this is the right temperature to pitch yeast. <laughs> because it'll die or it won't work. If right. It's like, right, so right, right. Knowing that maybe we don't use our thumbs to mm. brew beer anymore, goodness, um, what type, what type of equipment goes in to doing this it, it, from a very scientific level? But try and keep it easy for me. Sure, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, temperature is huge, and, and yeah, microbiologist of me is screaming about sticking a thumb in a beer because again, like after it's done 
boiling anything that touches that beer could contaminate it so you want to be really careful with it but um uh but yeah for commercial breweries the yeast that you're getting is coming from established labs that handle yeast all day white labs is a big one Y yeast is a big one there are a lot out there that supply commercial breweries and home brewers um with these yeasts that they have studied they have propagated i mean they've kind of grown in a lab under uh, obviously very sanitized conditions, but they know a lot about them. So you've kind of given as a, a home brewer or a commercial brewer, if you decide to get this Czech lager yeast, it's going to tell you, well, this works really well at 58 between like, you know, 57 and 60 degrees Fahrenheit is a good temperature to pitch this yeast at. And every commercial brewery knows the temperature of the tanks uh, the yeast is going into. You're, you know, it's just a, a probe. You have a thermal probe and every tank that's measuring that homebrewers though too you get little strips that have a sticky back you put them on your brew bucket and it'll it's just a thermometer it tells you what temperature it is so you know i can pitch now or not um same with not you know when you're knocking out when you're cooling your beer down as a homebrewer commercial brewer you're kind of watching the thermometer in the brew kettle drop down to 75 degrees or 70 degrees okay now it's time to transfer it into my brew bucket or my fermenter uh, because it's safe to pitch yeast. It's at a happy spot where the yeast is going to be most active, not overly active, give you weird off flavors, not based on that yeast, not fall asleep because it's too cold. Yeast do, when it gets cold, go to sleep and don't do what they're supposed to do. So they need to be happy. I've kind of said it before on this show, our brewer's job is really just to make yeast happy and temperature uh, is a huge factor there. Anyone that's experienced a northern winter can kind of uh, <laughs> right. know what it feels People like. People in yeast, right. Very it much the same. cold out. I'm not going out to shower <laughs> driveway today. Uh, um, I want to ask you a question about dry hopping and how that affects fermentation. But mm. d- because we're trying to keep these weekly episodes short, let's move that and maybe uh, maybe add that question to, to the final beer 101. Yeah. Or even lagering next time we do beer 101 or cellaring or whatever, we can jump into that. That's great. Oh, perfect. And in that case, my last question for you on fermentation. So provided everything kind of works out, the yeast do their job, the temperature stays at a, at a good place. Uh, I, I, I know this term green beer. So, mm. Um, provided like if we did, if we rushed through and, and we used a Quebec yeast and we did a three day IPA and we've got this green beer, um, what, what, what do you do to kind of get it ready for commercial sale or for the shelf at the grocery store? Yeah. Yeah. So, right. You want to have that kind of secondary fermentation run its course. If you need to dry hop, that's when you're dry hopping is kind of right at the end or well after primary fermentation, breweries do it differently based on a, a fair amount of factors. And that's kind of like the grandma's meatloaf recipe is like, you know, that's different brewery to brewery is what's what's good. How much ketchup is it actually barbecue sauce? What are we putting in here to make this meatloaf great? Um, so uh, when they dry hop, that's taken into consideration. But probably mo- what's most, as you said, I mean, you could make a beer in like 10 days as a commercial brewery that you could you could package now could and should are the uh you know at that moment very different words and you want to um as they usually always are but you want to kind of put that into consideration of you know should we wait a couple another week should we cold crash this i mean every beer we made in chimney creek we would cold crash it's exactly what it sounds we get very cold and that helps drop a lot of stuff particulates proteins 
yeast has been kicked up thanks to dry hopping, dry hops uh, itself, the hops themselves, out of the suspension of the beer. So that when you package it, it looks great. It doesn't look like weird pond water, uh, which <laughs> no one's going to want to drink. So cold crashing's a big part of this. And then, yeah, after that, you're transferring into a bright tank, which is just a giant tank used basically to bottle, can, or keg off of. Uh, and that's it. I mean, at, at that point, you've packaged your beer and it's ready to uh, to be consumed, which is something we'll get into in a f- coming up on a, a not the next beer one. I think I think we're are we two beer one ones away from packaging, or is it the yeah right? I, I believe we're right. Next Good. one's going to be cellaring and lagering, and then we'll cool. get into packaging. So yeah, you made a when we cover packaging. Uh, there's a story about Hetty Topper. Uh, mm. and say drink this from the can right rumor has it that's because the beer at that time was one of the first hazy ipas that looked like pond water it was a chunky so ipa yeah you were encouraged it. to keep it mm-hmm. in the can and then just yep. enjoy the flavor yeah um, this this has been great harrison uh, i want to encourage anybody uh to go back and listen to harrison pronounce Ordinem eccentrici cocatoris. cocatoris. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we the, both nailed the it. Proper Latin name of OEC. If you need some motivation to get through the week, um, thanks for listening us to drink this cool shit fermented dark lager and actually yeah. learn about how fermentation works. Harrison, what's coming up next week? Yeah, so next week, uh, you know, we're coming back with with again episodes every week now. So we're saying next week, you're not mishearing us. Next week, we'll be back. So tune in next Wednesday. We're going to drink Spaten's Oktoberfest and talk about how cool it would be to go to Germany itself and run around with some schnitzel and some lederhosen and, and have a, a good old time. Outside of that, the show notes for this episode and all our episodes are available on our new landing page uh, at podcast.untap.com. If you have any questions or feedback, just head there and you can connect directly with us right through Untapped or link up with us on the Drinking Socially Facebook group. Yeah. And Otherwise, other- thanks for listening. Yeah. And we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.